You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'll try this again. Thank you for having me come speak to you all this Lenten uh, um, season that is now starting and for your Lenten series. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we come here in the middle of the day. We come here to... Um, Listen to eat, to fellowship. Turn our hearts and minds towards you in this word briefly as we pause. We pause from our everyday living. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Lent is a lot of things. Um, At the very least, though, it is a time to reflect on what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so what I want to do briefly, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. I want to go back to the original call, the original call that Abraham got, and, and all those who are descendants of Abraham are to respond to this call as well. So this is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. It's the very beginning of your Bibles, and um, I will read to you from uh, the NIV that I have. Let me read. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. When he set out from Haran. Amen. All right. We have a short amount of time. Let's look at this passage cut up in three ways. The call to go, the challenges of the call, and then what we have that Abraham didn't have in his call. All right. We're going to look at the call to go, the challenges of the call, and then what we have that Abraham didn't actually have. First, the call. Look at the very first verse. Because I think... Abram has a call both away from as well as towards something. And the away from is found in verse 1. He's called away from the traditional ways that you and I, the ways we normally go about our everyday lives to get our identity. Look what it says. It says, I call you away from your country, your people, and your father's household. That, I think, makes up the essence of how we would often define ourselves. He says, you're supposed to go. Go where? Away from your country, which is your nationalism. Away from your people, which is your ethnicity. And then away from your father's household, your family, your familial ties. And I think what's going on here is God is not saying you don't have political uh, leanings and backgrounds. He's not saying you're not from a Nation. He's not saying that you don't have an ethnicity and a family background. Of course, those things will always affect you and will always be with you and are ways for how you live your life. What you're being called away from as those as the primary means of getting your identity. Whatever, wherever Abraham went, he still knew who he was, but now it doesn't just affect him. It doesn't define him anymore. And what I think this text is trying to tell us is that if you're going to rise up and go out, if you're going to go, there's something about that that you can only do if you're no longer 
using these as your primary means of designation. That if you're going to be able to bless other people at some level, ultimately, there's a, being, there's a calling out of these as your primary identity markers. And I think this applies to us as well. Because if, for instance, if you overly focus on your nationalism, it's going to be hard for you to care for and meet people who disagree with you. If you overly focus on your ethnicity, you're not going to have the curiosity to see how people see things from their lens. If you overly focus on your familial ties and your name, you're not going to want to or see the need to be going towards others. And I think um, when God says go, there's this call away from. And I know it's not easy to leave because what you're being called away from is what's familial, what's familiar. What you're being called away from is usually something that's more comfortable. Abram lived in Ur. It was a place of, you know, milk and honey. Lots of great things were flowing uh, in this region. And he was being called to an area that, um, with people who didn't understand, who didn't know him. I actually, as uh, I was introduced, I went to school in Nashville and was raised in, and still live in New York. And people would ask me where I'm from. I'd say New York. And, and, and the response is almost always the same. They say, oh, New York. I love visiting that place. Never could live there. Never could live there. And what they're really saying in that is I don't ultimately get who you are, right? And I, obviously we all say the same thing. Um, when I say, I, you know, I couldn't live there. I love visiting, but I couldn't live there. What we're saying in that space is I don't fully understand you. And that's what Abram was being called out towards and to. Now, there was, also, there was a call away, but there's also a call to. And notice after verse 1 where God strips him of all the worldly definitions that he normally would have gotten for his identity, the verse 2 tells him what he's, get, what he's actually getting. And I count at least six things that he's getting. He's getting an, a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. He's getting that blessing. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And, and all the peoples will be blessed through you. So lots of blessing going on here. Now, the problem with the word blessing in English is it doesn't have the same connotation as in Hebrew. Blessing in the north is like hachu, and you sneeze. In the south, it's bless their heart. You know, it doesn't have that same level of, uh, of weightiness that in Hebrew it means profound, internal, gifted well-being. And therefore, it means favor. This means betterment. This means substance. Essentially, blessing is the thing that you and I daily crave and desire and want. And it's what we spend most of our lives searching for. It's why we want people to think we're beautiful. It's why we want people to think we're put together. It's why we want people to think that we, um, you know, are successful in our careers and have great families. It's that concept of you matter, that you're important. That's blessing. And what's what's interesting here is what God is saying is, I don't want you to look for it over here. I'm I'm calling you out of these things because I'm going to give you that blessing. And, of course, the logical progression is if you have this blessing, now you can be a blessing. That's that's verse 3. And that Abram's mission then is no longer to go about seeking that internal blessing because that blessing's been given to him, and now he can go out and serve and, and care and seek to be with people who are radically different from him, to be with people who are radically unlike him. And so the question we need to ask is, how am I going to be a blessing to these other individuals? That if we're called out from 
how we normally define ourselves, and then towards others to be a blessing, that's what it means to, be, to have a call to go. Now, secondly, the challenges of the call. Um, the challenges are, are this. If you're really being called out from, towards a, a different area, to someone else, to others, that means you've departed from where you've been from before. That means it means at some level that we no longer fit in to where we used to fit. And that means if we're no longer primarily using our cultural identities for for our our, um, sense of self, there's going to be a tension with you and everything around you. Uh, This means if you're living as a Christian in Birmingham, that means you shouldn't be fully fitting in. If you do fully fit in, you should question yourself and say, you know, why is that? Because I'll put it differently. If you've been called to identify with a different set of, of values than, than the, uh, if you've been called to, to care about the values of a different land, then the values that you're from should not have the same level of, of prominence in your life. It means going out uh, at some level, it means then not actually being fully understood. It means people not quite getting you of, of whatever it means to be a Christian. That means it's not comfortable, it's a, but this is a prerequisite for what it means to be a blessing. If you actually try to make your neighborhood better, if you try to serve a, a certain segment of the population, at some level you're not going to be mis- you're not going to be understood. You'll be misunderstood, and that means leaving the comforts and actually going. The secret, of course, to being an, to being able to be a blessing, it's already been given to us. Is that you have to be blessed. You have to know that you've been blessed. And I think that's where most of us get hung up is I think most of us sit here in the pews and we say, it's really hard to go to those people because I don't feel like I've been blessed. I don't feel like I have this experience of God's love in my life. Uh, Probably in New York City, the thing I get asked the most is I believe in God. I just don't feel his presence. And that's why we don't go out. That's why we aren't a blessing. Uh, True story. Um, my My oldest daughter is about nine years old right now. And... When she was a baby, um, sometimes she would just start crying, and I didn't know as, you know, when Sarah wasn't there, my wife, I didn't know how to handle her. So um, often, if you put her in the carriage, and uh, carriage, what is that? It's called stroller in some places. You put her in a stroller, and you took her out for a walk, she would kind of reprogram, and she would reset, and she would stop crying. So it was kind of a cold day. I could see she was getting agitated, so I bundled her up put her in the um, stroller, and I do the pat down looking for the wallet, phone, keys, and I, parent, I couldn't find my wallet. I live in a high rise, it's about um, 23 stories, and on the top there's a, li- a shared library, and I left my wallet on the top floor. So I was like, all right, we got to go get my wallet first, put her in the stroller, go to the elevator, now she's really starting to get agitated and crying, press the button, takes forever. Finally, the elevator comes. We get to the top. She's full-on crying. And I know if we get out of that elevator, I go get my wallet, um, it's going to take forever for that elevator to come back. So I had a brilliant idea. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to lodge her so that the elevator door can't close. And it's just going to take five seconds. I'm going to be able to run in. I, 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 I played it out in my head. So, um, and it wasn't, there was no, everybody's going to be fine. Every, I see the judgment. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Love, love being here. Love being here. Anyway, I, I take, I, I, it was a great idea. I take off, and I run in. I grab my wallet. 
It was, five, it was like literally five seconds. I turn to go back, and I'm by the window, and what I see is the biggest hawk I've ever seen. I mean, this hawk is about 12 inches away. There's just a, a thin window between me and it, and it has these huge claws, and it's spreading its wings, and I'm, I can see every detail. And so what do you do when you see a hawk like that? You do what everybody else does. You break out your phone, and you start taking pictures. I took some really good pictures that day. And after a little bit of a while, I go, oh, I forgot my daughter. And so I run back, get back to the elevators, doors closed, baby gone. I press the button, try not to freak out. I'm like, that's okay. She's just in the elevator. No big deal. And elevator's taking forever. So I start running down the stairs, 20 20, uh, stories. It probably would have been faster if I had waited, but I needed to move. I get down to the the, um, ground floor, and there's the stroller baby gone. Uh, She had been taken to the front desk. So with uh, great uh, shame, I walk up there. You know, the judgment on your face, same over there. Um, (laughs) And I pick up my baby, and um, I collected her. But here's the point. My identity was primarily as a dad. It It was as a caretaker. It was as her father. And that identity, as good as those identities are, They all went out the window, very literally, when I saw that hawk. That all my worldly cares, all the ways I normally saw myself, stopped because of the experience of the hawk that was presently in my life that drowned out and I could not see anything else. God's love has to be that overpowering in our lives. It needs to be that much of an experience. That the other ways of how we get our identity are still there. I was still a dad, I was still a father, but it needs to be so present in our life that it moves the other ones away. Because if it becomes that big, then you will see the blessing of him in your life. To see his blessing more important than all the other blessings out there. To see his beauty as more important than any of the other beauties out there. The reason why we say, I I believe in God, but I don't I don't feel his presence is because we don't have that experience of him in our life in this way. And so I know you're like, okay, Mike's still a really bad dad. The elevator's door closed. But you need to get past it and say, has the, ask yourself this question. Has the, the person of Jesus captured my heart in a way that pushes everything else out to the periphery? That's the question. Now, last point. If the answer is no, I think for a lot of us, it's at least no some of the time. Then the question is, what do we do about that? Right? As as we're beginning our Lenten series, as we start reflecting, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? We need to ask ourselves, well, then how do we actually get that experience? And the answer can't be just be more like Abraham. Pick up your, you know, yourself up by your own bootstraps. uh, Abraham was a very flawed individual. If you look over his life, he did some pretty terrible things. He was used... But despite his flaws, he was given grace. And grace in this, in this instance, grace is not just favor in the presence, sorry, in the absence of merit. Grace is favor in the presence of deserved demerit. So let me try to put it as bluntly as possible. When God said to Abram, go, you know what Abram said? He said what we all say, which is, uh, where? And God said, I'll, t- I'll tell you later. So then God comes back to him and says, I'm going to bless you. Okay, great. How? I'll tell you later. Later on, he says, I'm going to give you descendants and a son. And he says, okay, when? He says, I'll tell you later. 
And later for Abram, he was 75, then 80, 85, 90, 90. I mean, he is not being told this for decades how this is going to lay out. And we're in the similar boat. You've probably been, you've, God has made you promises that you haven't seen fulfilled in your lifetime. And you're wondering when. And Abraham, we're told, believed it. his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith is just trust. He was able to trust. He had amazing faith. But actually, you and I have something that he didn't have. That if you go to the very first book of the New Testament, which you find there, the very first line of the first book in, in Matthew, is you have this line, Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Locating Jesus in that lineage. Then you go to Galatians 3.14 and it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that by faith we might receive what? What happened? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. This is the only way that I know how we can get this blessing that the ultimate way for all the peoples of the world to be blessed was actually through Abraham because the true descendant of Abraham in Jesus came. He's the true Abraham. Jesus didn't just leave his country. You know what he left? He left heaven itself for you. Abraham, wherever he went, he would build these altars and put a sacrifice on it. Jesus, wherever he went, was that sacrifice. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we, his descendants, now can just make these minor sacrifices in our life. Right? If you're going to be called out to be a blessing, we have to see this blessing is already here. That is why we can go out now and not be afraid to be outed as a Christian or to risk, uh, you know, to, to put ourselves on the line. God calls us out and then he sends us out. In fact, he, when he first calls you in, he only does so because he's going to send you back out. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going to go or how long it was going to take. And probably if he knew how long it was going to take, I'm not sure he would have even start in the first place. But Jesus, the Son of God, he knew exactly what it was going to take to bring you back to him. And he did it anyway. He took the cost. He took the penalty. All the times that you and I just aren't, when we're not just being not blessings, but when we're actually being curses to each other, he took that, bore that cost died for it so that we could get a blessing and that so that we could now go out and be a blessing. So here's the last thing I want to ask you. How might God be calling you out? How might God be sending you out? Put it another way. Where have you left your country and your people and your family? Where, and where might you be going? Where might you be sent? If you say, I haven't really figured that out yet, well, don't worry. Abraham was 75. It's never too late to start being sent out. What are the ways that God might be calling you out into something much deeper, much better, much richer? You know how it starts? It starts with having that experience of him presently in your life by having him all-encompassing because you see what he's done, how he's done it, and what he's doing. And that becomes an active and real presence in your life. That's how you get propelled out. And you can start today. Ask first if his love for me is like that. And if it's not, ask yourself why. Why might that be the case? What, are you might, what might you be over-focusing on? What might be the identity markers that you are looking to that can't give you what you need, which is ultimately him?
Get there by dwelling not just on these promises spoken to you, but on the life and nature of Christ this Lenten uh, season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, what you will do, Father. We pray that you will help us to have an experience of this blessing. We, know, we read it here. We know it's real. It's in our head, but it's not in our hearts. Move it deeper down. I know it's the middle of the, of the week. It's the middle of the day in the middle of the week. Help us to recalibrate why we're doing it and what we're doing and put it in line, Father, with what you've done for us. Praise things in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.